everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Cynthia Cedar Barker, also known as the Killer Grandma. So the words killer and grandma don't usually go together. When you think of grandma, you definitely do not think of killer. I literally just think of my own nan and I cannot wrap my head around the possibility of her being a killer. So this case is pretty shocking based on that fact alone. However, this case also has one of the most bizarre police interviews I think I've ever seen. When I first saw Cynthia's interview, I was shocked. I mean, I just couldn't believe that this interview was even real. The whole thing was just completely unbelievable. And you'll definitely have to go and search for her police interview on YouTube after this episode. It just seems like I'm watching like a TV drama. It seems so over the top and staged and acting, but it's not. And this case is just pretty bizarre as a whole. I was really struggling to get my head around it when I first started researching. I really like to try and get into the mind of the killer and understand why they have done what they have done, but I just couldn't figure this case out. Most of the coverage of this case just wasn't giving me answers. However, I then came across a court document that was released a few years after most of the coverage had taken place. And this court document, let's just say it definitely sheds some light on a few things. So of course I'll share some of the things that I found out in that court document at the end. And with that being said, let's dive in. So Cynthia was born on the 11th of February, 1951, making her an Aquarius. Now there's not much information on Cynthia's background. I tried to find out, but I can't really tell you anything about Cynthia's life when she was growing up as a child. The only information I could find out about Cynthia is kind of her situation around when this case happens. All we really know is that Cynthia was married and she had one daughter. And her daughter does play quite a significant role in this story. And Cynthia's husband had passed away before the events of this case case take place. The events of this case take place in 2014 and at the time of the events Cynthia is living with her daughter Laura and also her son-in-law Gerard. Laura and Gerard had been married for 13 years at this point in 2014 and they had two children together, a 14-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl. Gerard also had two other children, two sons from a previous marriage and one of the sons from that marriage was an 18-year-old and he also did live in the house. So this is a very very full house. We have Cynthia, the grandmother, Laura, Gerard, and then the three teenagers. So as you can imagine, this house is quite full. It's very chaotic. There's three generations living together with three teenagers, but they definitely weren't uh, pushed for size with this house. This is a very fancy house that they're all living in. Their house is located in Fulbrook, California, which I can't remember exactly how long, but it's not far from LA. I can't remember if it's an hour or two hour drive from LA, but it's not that far just outside of LA. And their house is situated in a gated community. And I've seen their house. It is so fancy. And the whole gated community, I don't know, all of these houses are just so big and fancy. And there's all these winding roads and it's all really private. It looks really nice with all of these green lawns. And the houses are all on these um, 
cul-de-sacs. It just reminds me of Gilmore Girls, where they say that the plural of cul-de-sac is cul-de-sac. I, I don't know, I feel weird saying cul-de-sac. And I thought, wow, this is expensive. Like, they must be pretty well off. And they were well off, I'm not gonna lie. Anyway, you get the idea of where this house was located. Now, <laughs> don't judge me, because I know some of you probably do this too. But something that I really love to do is I like to go on Rightmove. I don't even know if you have Rightmove outside of the UK. I like to go on Rightmove and look at like really fancy houses in all like fancy areas just to see like how much they are and like see the inside. You know, kind of live in a little bit of a dreamland sometimes. So I looked at this house because I thought, bloody hell, this must be an extremely expensive house. And don't get me wrong, it is expensive, but it is nowhere near as expensive as I thought it was. Like I thought this house would be like millions and millions of dollars. But the house that they lived in was valued at $840,000. So yes, still an incredibly expensive house. $840,000 converts to around 600,000 pounds. I don't know about the housing market anywhere else in the world, but I know about the UK housing market. And that house just seems crazy cheap to me. <laughs> like it's just so crazy how much more you could get for your money in the US. I don't know if that's the case for the whole of the US. I don't want to generalize because like I just said, I don't know anything about the US housing market. In the UK for 600, thousand pounds you would still get a really nice house you would get a decent amount of bedrooms but you would not get anything that looks like that house that this family are living in. As always, Danielle goes off on a little bit of a tangent in these videos. But don't judge me about going on right moves, looking at houses, because I know some of you do it too. So Cynthia, as we know, is living with her daughter and son-in-law, and she started living with them in 2001 because she had suffered a stroke. And just her health in general started to decline. And in 2001, this was just after Laura and Jawad got married. So they're newlyweds. And then all of a sudden, Laura's mom and Jawad's mother-in-law are living with them. Uh, that's not the most ideal situation for newlyweds, but it is what it is. They took her in because her health was declining. Imagine sleeping at your favorite hotel every night. Well, that's exactly what slipping into Etitude's clean bamboo sheets feel like. When they say it's the most comfortable fabric you'll ever feel, they mean it. Etitude sheets are luxuriously soft, as smooth as silk, more breathable than cotton, hypoallergenic, and their sustainable bedding is also made from the world's first non-toxic bamboo fabric. So you can rest easy knowing that your bedding is free from harmful chemicals and is better for you and the planet. And right now, Etitude is offering the Criminal Makeup listeners $25 off their first bedding order with code Criminal Makeup. And I've been using Etitude sheets for a few weeks now and they are just incredible. They keep me at the absolute perfect temperature at night and the fabric is so soft. And also they are hypoallergenic. And given that I am prone to suffering with my skin and allergies, it really is just so much better for me. And not just that, Etitude's bamboo sheets are amazing for the planet. They are ethically crafted from regenerative natural resources. And not just that, they use nine. 99% less water than cotton to produce, which is a huge difference. And the Etitude team is so sure that you'll love your new sheets that you can try them 30 nights risk-free and return them, no questions asked. So don't forget you can get $25 off your bedding order for a limited time when you visit etitude.com forward slash criminal makeup, spelled E-T-T-I-T-U-D-E dot com slash 
criminal makeup. Again, that's attitude.com forward slash criminal makeup. Happy sleeping. Cynthia's stroke did affect her speech and her balance and it also gave her gait disorder and I didn't know what gait disorder was so I looked it up but from what I could understand it affects the pattern of your walking. That was just from my understanding and that's obviously a very basic explanation of what it is. Now as we know this house is very fancy and they have a granny flat in this house and this is where Cynthia lives. Quite apt really considering she's a granny. <laughs> and this must have been like really perfect for Cynthia because she had her own little space. It's not like she was living in the main house. So she kind of did still have like her freedom because she was living in the granny flat. She was close enough to her daughter that if anything was to go wrong, like her daughter is right there to help her. Now in 2001, Cynthia didn't move in full time with her daughter. She would kind of spend extended periods of time with different family members. So she would spend like a couple of months with Laura, then she would go and spend a little bit of time with her niece and so forth. She would kind of like go around family members. So each family member could take turns looking after her and then give the other family members a break from looking after her. So this is what Cynthia was doing from 2001. She was just kind of like moving around family members. Now Laura and Gerard had very busy lifestyles. I mean, they're looking after Cynthia a lot of the time. They also have three teenagers that are living in their house. And I couldn't find out what Laura's job was. She did have a job, but I couldn't find out what it was. And Gerard worked as a real estate agent, as well as being a coach for a local rugby team. And he was also a military reservist. And I think these roles, like the rugby and the military, definitely, I don't know if they affected his personality or his personality was just more suited to those roles, but they definitely had an impact on Gerard as a person. The kids that played for his rugby team have described his coaching methods as very strict. And he just almost had this like military, which obviously he picked up from being a military reserve, but he had almost like this military style and he was very, very organized. And these traits also carried into his parenting techniques. Gerard's sons have said that he would always push them to do more. He would push them to better themselves. And it was a tough love kind of approach. They did say though, that they could tell that it came from a place of caring and love, but it wasn't exactly the easiest kind of style to live with. Jawad just wanted his sons and the people around him to be high achievers, to be better, to strive to do better. And one of his sons has also described him as someone that would do a lot for his family and a lot for the community, but he could be kind of a difficult person to get along with. And because of Jawad's personality and just his parenting techniques, there was definitely a lot of tension in the household, maybe more than usual. I mean, there was already going to be a lot of tension, isn't there, with three generations living in a house. But there was a hell of a lot of tension between Gerard and Cynthia. Now, Cynthia was the polar opposite of Gerard in her personality. She was very laid back. She was more charismatic. She was more of like a fun, spontaneous kind of character, which was the complete opposite to Gerard, who was very organized, very clinical, probably wasn't the most spontaneous kind of character, but they did have something in common. They were both very strong-minded. And Cynthia was just that typical grandmother that just says it how it is and doesn't really care. <laughs> So as you can imagine, their two personalities clashed, uh, <laughs> to say the least. And they would argue about pretty much anything, whether it was politics, just something going on in the house, but especially how Gerard's children were being raised. That was definitely 
a big source of tension. However, there were issues that went deeper than just simple personality clashes that caused tension between Cynthia and Jawad, and that is because Cynthia believed that Jawad was being abusive towards Laura and the children. Cynthia would often see bruises on Laura's arm and she was convinced that Jawad was the one that put them there. Like I said, they argued a lot about how the children should be raised and Cynthia thought that Jawad was way too strict on his children. And the way he disciplined the children was very military-like. And he obviously got this from being a military reservist, but this military style isn't suitable for children and Cynthia disapproved of his parenting techniques. But Cynthia and Jawad had their own problems between each other as well. It wasn't just all centered around how Jawad was treating Laura and the children. A big tension between Cynthia and Jawad was the fact that Cynthia was a smoker and she would smoke a hell of a lot. And Jawad never let Cynthia smoke in the house. He was of the mindset, my house, my rules, you're not smoking in my house. Which I don't think is too unreasonable. I mean, it is Jawad and Laura's house. If they don't want people smoking in their house, like they don't have to have people smoking in their house. Jawad particularly didn't want Cynthia smoking around his children, which I can't understand. So Cynthia did used to smoke outside, but this still used to annoy Jawad to the point where if Jawad was in the garden at the same time as Cynthia smoking, he would get a hose and spray her down. He wouldn't just like jokingly like spray her a little bit, like in like a jokey kind of fun way. He would completely soak her. And he would say things like, if I see a fire, I need to put it out. Obviously insinuating because she was smoking, there was fire. And he didn't just do this once. He did this all the time. And we need to remember that Cynthia is an elderly lady. You can't just soak an elderly lady. It's okay if you disagree with her smoking. It's okay if you want her to smoke outside, but she is an elderly lady and he is getting a hose and soaking her all the time. And Laura being the wife of Gerard and the daughter of Cynthia, she would often find herself in the middle of their arguments. And like I said, Cynthia was the kind of grandmother that just said whatever was on her mind. And she definitely told Laura how much she disliked Gerard. She pretty much told Laura for their whole marriage, how much she disliked Gerard and how she thought he was evil. Now, all of this arguing and all of the tension in the house was going on for quite a while. However, it definitely escalated in 2014. And it was around the January time when Jawad hit one of the children. And this was a turning point. This is what made Cynthia snap. And this is what made her decide, I want to kill Jawad. And she thought to herself that she had better prepare to kill Jawad. So she went to a shooting range to practice, essentially, and also buy some bullets. Now, remember I said that Cynthia would kind of move around and spend short periods of time with different family members. Well, it was around the beginning of 2014 that Cynthia was due to spend some time with her niece. But after witnessing Jawad hit one of the children, she canceled this trip and she was like, I can't leave right now. I need to stay in this house with Laura and the children because I need to keep an eye on Jawad. I am worried about their safety. I cannot leave right now. So Cynthia did cancel her trip and she decided to carry on living with Laura, Jawad and the children. So a few weeks go by and Cynthia is keeping her eye on Jawad and it's currently now February and it's actually the night before 
The events of this case take place and Cynthia and Laura are just in the granny flat where Cynthia lives and they're just watching TV when one of the children comes running into the room crying and they start saying to their mom, Laura, and this just breaks my heart, they're crying and they're saying to their mom, why do you hate me so much to let dad hurt me like this? And just after the child said this to their mom, Jawad is at the bottom of the stairs and he is shouting and swearing at the child, trying to get the child to come back. And I don't know what happened. This is all I know from this event. I assume the child did go down. I don't know. But all I could find out is that later on that night, Jawad did break that child's computer. And this was a form of punishment. And Cynthia did not like this at all. And I think it was this specific moment that pushed Cynthia completely over the edge. Now the next day is the 11th of February, it's 2014, and it's actually Cynthia's birthday. And Cynthia woke up to Laura wishing her a happy birthday. And she told her mom that she'd be taking her out for a really nice birthday lunch. And she also gave her mom some money so she could go gambling because Cynthia's niece for a birthday treat was actually taking her to a casino. And Cynthia had just woken up when Laura went into the bedroom to wish her happy birthday. So she was kind of like half asleep, but she seemed pretty happy. And she was like, yay, it's my birthday. And then Laura left the house for the day, leaving just Cynthia and Jawad in the house on their own. Now, also on this day, it was Laura and Jawad's daughter's spelling bee at school. And Cynthia and Jawad were planning on going to the spelling bee. And I think they were planning on going together. And when it was time for them to leave, Cynthia came down from her granny flat. She was all dressed for the day. But when Jawad saw what Cynthia was wearing, he was not happy at all. Cynthia was wearing this like orangey red kind of skirt and she paired it with an LA Chargers football shirt and Jawad just took one look at Cynthia and said quote you can't go like that because you look ghetto like that. He also said that she looked like a hobo and he was just laughing at her. He wasn't being very nice at all. Like it's like it's her birthday. Let her wear what she wants to wear. Like does it really matter? And naturally Cynthia was upset about this. I mean no one likes to be called names like especially on that birthday and she turned around and she started to walk away but Gerard grabbed her and just started calling her names again and laughing at her just making her feel so small and this was the moment that Cynthia just flipped she went back to her bedroom she went into her bedside drawer and she pulled out a gun now after she got her gun she made her way downstairs and Jawad was already outside he was doing laundry and he had his back turned towards Cynthia and Cynthia just started shooting at Jawad Jawad immediately went down but the shots weren't fatal and he started to move towards Cynthia to fight her off however Cynthia had other plans and she just continued on shooting towards Jawad until she ran out of bullets. And I think at this point, Jawad had been shot five times. So he was on the floor. He wasn't able to kind of move around. And when Cynthia ran out of bullets, what did she do? She walked to her car where she kept her bullets and reloaded her gun. And all of this is happening outside. And Cynthia is a very slow walker. I think most of the time she walks with a stick. So it takes her a while to walk to her car and reload her gun and then walk back to Jawad. This is not a quick attack at all. This is a very drawn out attack. This attack happens over a long period of time. But when Cynthia returns to Jawad, he has managed to start crawling towards the house. I'm honestly shocked that he is not dead at this point. He has been shot five times. When Cynthia finds Gerard on the floor starting to crawl back to the house, what does she do? 
continues on shooting Gerard until again she runs out of bullets. And blood is everywhere. I mean, Gerard at this point has been shot 10 times. So Cynthia has run out of bullets again. So what does she do? She walks back to her car to reload her gun again. I'm not making this up. This is crazy. And she is such a slow walker as well. Like she's just hobbling back to her car with this gun and just like slowly reloading her gun and then going back to Gerard to shoot him more. This attack is so brutal. So, okay, Gerard has been shot 10 times now. Cynthia has run out of bullets. She goes to her car to reload again. She goes back to find Gerard. And like I said, amazingly, Gerard is still alive at this point. And not only is he alive, he has managed to crawl back to the house. He's managed to get himself in the kitchen and he's actually locked the door. I truly don't know how he had the strength to do that, but the locked door did not stop Cynthia for long. She just started to shoot at the door to shoot the lock off and she did shoot the lock off and she made her way into the kitchen. Jawad is on the floor and we all know what she does. She continues on shooting Jawad until she runs out of bullets. And when she's run out of bullets, she says that ought to do it. And then after she had finished shooting Jawad that last third time, she went back to her car and drove off. Now this attack lasted for 10 minutes. Like I said, it wasn't a quick attack at all. And I know 10 minutes doesn't sound like a long period of time, but when you are killing somebody, 10 minutes is a hell of a long time. That is so much time to think about what you're doing. There is so many opportunities in that 10 minutes to stop what you're doing. Cynthia fired a total number of 15 bullets. Three hit the kitchen door when she was trying to shoot the lock off the door and the other 12 bullets hit Gerard. And this attack was not quiet at all. I know they live in a very fancy house on this cul-de-sac and the houses are quite far apart, but a lot of this attack happened outside. And the attack happened around 8 a.m. And it was around that time where multiple 911 phone calls were coming in from the neighbors in the surrounding houses. Sheriff Communications Dispatcher number 10 may help you. I've never shot a gun in my life, so I'm not an expert, but I'm sitting here in my house and I heard four or five discharges. Hi, I, I was in my bathroom doing my hair and I could hear what he sounded like gunshots and I opened my window and I hear it sounds like a man saying, help me, help me. Oh, that's, I just heard the shot again. Yeah, there was some gunshots fired, um, about five of them behind my house and now I can hear someone yelling, help me. Oh, another gunshot. Another shot. I hear it. Another one. Three more, okay. okay. And this person is screaming, help. Yeah. You hear him. Is it male, female? It sounds kind of like a male, but it could be an old female with a raspy smoke voice. And we've got several deputies on the way. And what is just so crazy that in these 911 phone calls, you can hear the gunshots going off in the background. Like the people are just going, another one, there's another gunshot, there's another one. It's so crazy. And this is not just one phone call as well. You can hear these gunshots on these multiple 911 calls. However, even though these 911 calls were coming in before the attack was over, the police did not arrive to the scene in time. But when they walked into the house, they did find Gerard on the floor in the kitchen. There was just blood 
absolutely everywhere. I mean, there would be. He was shot 12 times and very tragically, Jawad was pronounced dead at the scene as soon as the police arrived. So the police immediately start their investigation. They want to know what the hell has gone on in this house. And they need to start contacting the family because they need to obviously tell them what has gone on. But also, we all know that murders most likely happen from someone you know. So not only are they trying to contact the family to unfortunately tell them about this devastating news, they also want to know where each family member is so they could rule them out as a suspect. Now, the first person that they were trying to track down that they couldn't was Jawad's oldest son, the one from his previous marriage. Now, this son was 18 years old and he was also a recovering drug addict. And the family believed that there could have been some kind of altercation between the father and the son. However, he was quickly ruled out as a suspect. And then the next person the police realized that they couldn't find was Cynthia. So they asked Laura, like, where's your mom? Where is she? We kind of need to find her. And Cynthia was a creature of habit and Laura was able to give a few of the places that her mother was likely to be. Now, at this point, I don't think the police suspected Cynthia as being a suspect because the way the police see it, they know Cynthia was in the house at the time of the attack because Laura said that her mom was still in the house. Police think that she could be a victim as well. She could be hurt. She could be missing. God knows what could have happened. I mean, I feel like most people, whether it's right or wrong, I feel like most people would assume that she could also be a victim, not the suspect. Where was Cynthia? You would think that she had gotten into her car and gotten as far away as possible. But like I said, Cynthia was a creature of habit and she just wanted to enjoy her birthday. The first thing she did, she went to a liquor store to buy some cigarettes and she actually treated herself to a better brand because it was her birthday and she thought, treat yourself. And then she headed to Denny's for food. She ordered one of her favorites, bacon and eggs. And then do you remember that I said that Cynthia was supposed to be going to the casino with her niece? Well, she did. She didn't go with her niece. She went on her own. But like I said, Cynthia wanted to carry on celebrating her birthday as if nothing had happened. Cynthia had no intention of letting anything ruin her day. Not even the fact that she's just killed her son-in-law. After she had finished eating her bacon and eggs, she made her way to the casino where she gambled for two hours. Like, how are the police not finding her? She's a creature of habit. She's going to all of the places that Laura said she would. And then after gambling, she went to her favorite coffee shop to treat herself to a coffee. So Laura did give the police all of the possible locations her mother could be. And I'm guessing the coffee shop was one of the locations that she gave because the police did arrive eventually at 6 p.m. M. I just want to point out that the murder happened around 8 a.m. Cynthia wasn't phased at all when the police arrived. Actually, quite the opposite. She was in a very jolly mood. Like, seriously, who is in a jolly mood as they're being arrested? Because I think at this point, the police had figured out that Cynthia was the person that they were looking for. Cynthia is just like, so like jolly. She's kind of has the attitude of like, oh, hi, what brings you here? Like as if she's surprised to see the police. And then the police take her in for questioning. And now we're about to get onto the most, at least one of the most bizarre interviews I have ever seen. So the police start by telling Cynthia what exactly happened at that house. I think Cynthia is kind of playing a little bit dumb. Well, unfortunately, Laura's husband has passed away. Huh? Laura's husband was killed today. He was killed when? Today. We're going to ask you some questions. 
We're gonna ask you some questions because we're trying to figure out what happened today, okay? Oh, it's kind of acting like she just doesn't know what the police are talking about. I feel like she's kind of like playing up to her age. She's trying to kind of make out that she is old and she doesn't know what's going on. She's also trying to act surprised at what the police are telling her. And at one point she even tries to cry. The police come straight out with it and just say, what was your opinion of Gerard? What did you think of him? So what did you think of him? Okay, why do you say that? That's the big thumbs down. He didn't like it. So mean to me and all of them. He's mean to everybody? Yes, he is. And I think the police change up tactics here. Figure out that she's not gonna cooperate completely. We kind of need to play up to her story. And because of this, Cynthia does start to open up that she doesn't like Jawad and her opinion of Jawad. And you can just tell that she's gaining more and more confidence as the interview is going on. And she just can't contain herself for much longer. So like I said, the police are kind of playing along at this point with her. And at one point, one of the officers says to Cynthia, Oh, it sounds like someone needed to stop him, like really playing into her narrative. And I think it was at this point that Cynthia was just like, yeah, me, I did it, I stopped him. Because you can't go like that because it looks like you're ghetto in this. Did anybody try to stop him? Can't stop him. It sounds like somebody had to stop him, or I did, okay. I did, okay. I was guilty. Okay. Somebody had to stop him. I did. Okay, it's okay. Is he dead? You tell me. Gotta be dead. You think he's dead? I hope so. I think because of the way the officers were asking her questions, like playing into her narrative, Cynthia thought that she was gonna get praise for killing Jawad, and the officers were almost gonna think that she was the hero of the story. And after her initial confession, she repeatedly asks the police if Jawad is dead. And after the officers confirmed to Cynthia that Jawad has died, it's her reaction that is so shocking and something that I have never seen before. Did he say anything to you? Grandma, I love you. He said that to you? Yeah. After you shot him, he said, Grandma, I love you? Yeah. God damn. Did you check to see if he was dead? I didn't care. Is he alive? He's yeah. not? Oh, good, 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 good. Oh, thank you. I shot him. Boom, boom, boom. Is he dead? He's dead, man. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Oh boy, oh boy. You don't feel bad about it? No. Would you do it again? Yes. Oh, I prayed to get today. Okay. First time ever prayed. What'd you pray for? Hope he dies. Oh boy. Like, I don't even know how to react to that interview. And at times, I don't know if it was just me, but you kind of forget the seriousness of what is going on. You forget that she's actually just confessed to murder. She definitely did not hide from the fact that she was over the moon that Jawad was dead. And you can just hear the lack of remorse in her voice. She does not regret it. The officers even ask her, would you do it again? And without hesitation, she does say yes. But on top of all of this, what is even crazier is that Cynthia's family, so her daughter, Laura, and her grandchildren are watching this interview behind that glass. Like, can you even imagine watching your grandma 
confess to a murder and reacting the way that she did, like holding her hands up. And after the interview was over, the police did allow the family members to visit Cynthia one by one. I wanted to. And Laura was just distraught. She was crying uncontrollably, as you can imagine. She's just found out that her mom killed her husband. And most of the family that visited Cynthia did hug her. I don't know if they wanted to hug her. I don't know what their feelings were towards her, but the youngest granddaughter, and you can't see her, she's like just out of shot of the camera, but you can hear her and she's crying. And Cynthia is asking for a hug of her granddaughter, but her granddaughter is saying, no, you just killed my dad. Oh, honey. Oh. And it really puts it into perspective. Like when a child is saying that, it's it's horrible. So Cynthia is then taken into custody and charged with first degree murder. So following the interview, there were questions on whether Cynthia was competent enough to stand trial. I mean, of course there was. That was definitely not a normal reaction. However, she was deemed competent enough to stand trial and it was in the February 2017 that her trial started. Cynthia had already confessed to the murder, so whether she was guilty or not wasn't really in question. The question was whether the murder was premeditated and did the claims of abuse play into the reason behind why she murdered Gerard? The defense wanted Cynthia to be found guilty of voluntary manslaughter, not first degree murder, because they said that she wasn't guilty of first degree murder because she just snapped. After witnessing all of the abuse that she had over the years, she just snapped. The defense presented witnesses that supported the claims of abuse. One of these witnesses was the niece who had stayed over at the house several times and was aware of the abuse that was going on. And another witness to the defense was actually Laura and she supported the claims of abuse. She testified in the trial against her husband, Gerard, but the prosecution said that the murder was premeditated and it was done without remorse and it should be first degree murder, not voluntary murder slaughter. They said it was premeditated because Cynthia went out, she bought a gun, she went to the shooting range, she went to practice, she also bought bullets and this was like a couple of weeks before the murder actually took place. So the prosecution were like, it's definitely premeditated. She did all of this in preparation to kill Gerard. And also Cynthia didn't show remorse. We know she didn't show remorse in the interview, but she also didn't show any remorse in the trial. And again, in the trial, she's behaving so bizarrely. It actually reminds me of Isabella Guzman. Do you remember that case? Because Cynthia is just kind of like waving at the judge, she's smiling, which is not normal behavior when you're on trial for first degree murder. Gerard's sister provided a victim statement and she included 15 photos for the 15 shots that were fired. Every one of these photos epitomize him, his family, and his love of life. She said that the photos highlighted the love that Gerard had for his family and just the love that Gerard had for life. So the jury took into account everything in the trial, the abuse, 
everything. And after two days of deliberation, they decided that Cynthia was guilty of first degree murder. She had no right to become judge, jury, and executioner. So on the 23rd of March, 2017, Cynthia Barker was found guilty of first degree murder. And at the age of 66, she was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 50 years before parole. So everything that I've spoken about up until this moment is what is widely reported. But like I said, when I was doing my research, I couldn't quite help feeling that just something was missing. I just couldn't understand why Cynthia committed such a brutal murder. I think it's so brutal because she had to keep going back to the car to reload over and over again. That was such a drawn out attack. That is so brutal. And then just the fact that she went on with her day celebrating her birthday. And then when she found out that she had killed Jawad, she was so happy about it. But then, like I said, I came across this court document published in the October of 2018. And this document goes into so much more detail about the abuse. Not that it's justified, but now a lot of things do make sense. Now, I do need to give a disclaimer. We are going to be talking about abuse in more detail. Not in a lot of detail, but in more detail. And I also need to give a disclaimer that this document was submitted by Cynthia's defense. Therefore, it is only Cynthia's side of the story. And we don't have Jawad's account of the story. He is not here to defend himself. So Cynthia is appealing her conviction. And that is why this document was submitted because she said that she wasn't given a fair trial and her defense team at the time was just inadequate. So this appeal document goes into so much more detail of the abuse, so much more detail than what came out in the trial. It said that Jawad would often choke law and he would also hit the children with his belt. He would also verbally abuse the children as well, just calling them names and also saying that the dogs were better than his children. The document also went into a lot more detail of how Jawad would treat Cynthia. Now, Jawad would often turn off the hot water to the granny flat. Remember, Cynthia was living in the granny flat. He would turn off the hot water and she would have to have cold showers. He would also offer to like pick her up from the coffee shop that she always would go to, but then purposely not turn up and just leave her sat outside the coffee shop for hours, sometimes in extreme heat or extreme cold. He just wouldn't care. He would just leave her outside. And this was his form of punishment towards Cynthia. We already know that he would hose her down in the garden quite regularly, but he also had this spray water bottle that he had for training dogs. And he would often use this to spray it in the face of Cynthia and the children. So not only did this document go into detail on the verbal and physical abuse, it also went into detail on how Gerard would sexually abuse Laura. And I have not seen anywhere of any coverage of this case that has mentioned the sexual abuse. And these sexual abuse allegations aren't actually coming from Cynthia. They're coming from the niece. The niece would stay at the house quite regularly. And there was one time where she walked past the bedroom that Gerard and Laura shared and she could hear Laura inside of the room and she was crying and she was also saying get off me. The next day she confronted Laura about what she'd heard because she wanted to know what was going on and this is when Laura opened up to her and told her exactly what Gerard would do to her. She said that sometimes at night Gerard would choke her and hold her down until she passed out. He would then sodomize her without her consent because this was the only way that he could gratify himself because he said Laura was quote too loose down there 
end quote. When the niece heard about this, understandably, she was horrified. And the niece actually told Cynthia about what Laura had told her. She was concerned about her. I mean, I can't even imagine hearing that about your daughter. Cynthia was so upset. Remember near the beginning of the story, I said that Cynthia was supposed to go to her niece's house for a short period of time, but she changed her mind and canceled her trip. Well, this is why, because she found out about the sexual abuse. Like I said, though, in the disclaimer, I don't know how much proof there is to these claims, but I do just feel like if this is true, it definitely fills in a lot of the blanks that I feel were in the story. I feel like finding out that your daughter is being sexually abused doesn't justify murder. I'm not saying that, but it definitely makes more sense why Cynthia reacted like she did, why she was so happy in the interview that she'd killed him. I suppose the question is not whether she's guilty or not. We know she's guilty. It's whether there was premeditation there or not. I mean, I don't think we'll ever truly know exactly when Cynthia decided to kill Jawad. Was it when she found out about the sexual abuse? Was it when she witnessed Jawad hitting one of the children with her own eyes? Was it the night before the murder when the granddaughter ran up to the granny flat and said to Laura, why do you hate me so much to let dad treat me like this? I don't think we'll ever know. But to me anyway, it does kind of seem like the murder was premeditated. I mean, she was going to the shooting range to practice and that was two weeks before the murder. Also, if we look at the events of the morning of the murder, it seemed like Cynthia snapped after Jawad insulted the way she was dressed. I mean, to me, I don't think she killed Jawad because he insulted her. I don't know. I mean, I know no one likes to be insulted, but it does just seem like quite a minor thing in comparison to the rest of what was going on. I mean, for all we know, Gerard may not have even insulted the way Cynthia looked. She could have walked down from her granny flat on the morning with the gun already in her hand. But this case is just such a tragic case for everyone involved. I mean, Laura lost her husband and her mother at the same time. It's just so sad. And Cynthia, without remorse, without really thinking, did take away a father. She did take away a husband. She also took Gerard away from his family. And that brings us to the end of the episode on Cynthia Cedar Barker. There are no updates on this case. So thank you so much everyone for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.